You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Good evening, Valleydale and friends. So glad to see you tonight. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited about tonight. Believe the Lord has a fresh word of encouragement for all of us. And hey, who, who couldn't use encouragement, right? So let's, let's dig in God's word together. It began as a normal soccer match. It was Christmas Day, 1937. Sam's team, which was called Charlton, was playing Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in England. Sam played goalie. He was a very effective goalie, by the way. And the game began, and it was normal. The weather was fine. But as the game went on, a fog started to descend onto one end of the soccer field. Sam was playing goalie on this end. And as the game progressed, the fog slowly moved toward his end. Now, the game had gone on for 61 minutes. It was tied one-to-one. Things had gone fine. But the referee got concerned and decided to stop the game. All the players, uh, except Sam, exited the field because no one told Sam that the game had stopped. So there Sam was in ready position defending his goal, And no one was around, of course. No one was even on the field, but he didn't know that. And so he's pacing back and forth, and he just figured, well, we must be doing pretty well because no one's on our end, so our team must be have Chelsea pinned on the other end. He knew they had not scored or they would have come back to line up again, but as far as he knew, all the action was on the other end. Now, Sam eventually inched up toward the penalty box line, and he's still in ready position when finally he sees a figure of someone walking towards him, and it was a policeman. And the policeman said, what on earth are you doing here? The game ended 15 minutes ago, and no one's even on the field. Well, of course, Sam had no idea. So Sam exited the field and went to the locker room. His teammates had already showered and changed clothes. And Sam had no idea what was going on in front of him because he was in the midst of a fog. And I wonder how many of us tonight feel like Sam did that that day. We feel like we're in the midst of a fog. Can't really see what's going on in front of us. We possibly hear things going on, but we can't really make sense of what is happening in our life or in our world right now. And because of that, there is this uncertainty. And when there's uncertainty, oftentimes there can be fear. And I wonder tonight if many of us, there has been a fog of fear that has settled down upon our life. And this blanket of fear is just defeating us, it's discouraging us, and we don't know what to do. We, we, we love Jesus, we love to, for that fear, just to, that fog to move on somewhere else, but we don't know how to get out of it. It could be just a fear of the virus, a fear of unrest in our nation, a fear of uncertainty, but it's real and we don't know what to do with it. And tonight we want to talk about spiritual sight. Spiritual sight is the way to make the fog go away. We're going to look at a story where there was blindness physically and there was spiritual blindness. The servant of Elisha couldn't see spiritually what was happening around them. The only person who could see at the very beginning was Elisha. Elisha had spiritual sight. 
And no matter what was going on around him, Elisha was at peace. He was not afraid. And so I hope you will be encouraged tonight by our message, 2 Kings chapter 6. Continue looking at the life of Elisha, and we find our next story here in 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 8. It says, Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel. Now last week there was a time of peace in between Israel and Syria, but there were also times of war. This was not an official time of war, but there were just sporadic uh, assaults on Syria's behalf against Israel. They were, Syria was located north, and from time to time they would attack Israel. And so the king, we get, uh, there's several different characters in this story. The king of Israel, the king of Syria, there's this army, and there's also the servant of Elisha. We don't know any of their names. The only two names that are mentioned are Elisha and Yahweh, Elisha and God. And those are the two main characters in this story. And so the story begins, and the king of Israel is having this conversation. And he's he's telling his, his military command or his cabinet, he's saying, what I'd like to do is set up a camp right here so we can go attack the Israelites. And so uh, that's what he planned to do. That's what verse 8 is about. But then it says, verse 9, but the man of God, which is Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel. So God would supernaturally tell, reveal to Elisha, hey, Syria is going to be at this location right here. And Elisha would take that bit of intelligence and he would tell the king of Israel. Apparently, we, we think this was King Jehoram of Israel at this point. It was Ben-Hadad II probably in Syria. And so Elisha would tell King Jehoram, hey, the, the Syrians are going to be at this location. And so the king of Israel would send troops to that location. And when, when uh, the Syrians showed up, guess who was there? The Israelites were there. They, the Israelites spoiled the fun. And so the Israelites got to ambush the Syrians instead of the other way around. And you can imagine how frustrating this would have been for the king of Syria to have this secret conversation, or so he thought, with his military personnel. And then all of a sudden, he goes and the Israelites are there. And so he has this frustration. What is going on? And so this happened more than once at the end of verse 10. Thus he used to warn him, uh, is, is Elisha. Elisha would warn the king of Israel. The word warn means to enlighten or instruct. He would instruct the king of Israel as to what God had showed him. And uh, he did this so that God, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. So several times God has spared the Israelites through what he revealed to Elisha. Now, the king of Israel, or Syria, couldn't believe what was happening. The mind, of verse 11, of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. Well, sure it was. So he calls his servants together and essentially says, guys, we have a leak somewhere. So there is a problem here. We, we have these conversations in Syria, and we show up, and the Israelites are where I said we were going to go. So someone has got to be leaking this information to the Israelites. Well, one of the uh, personnel there in Syria said, well, King, the problem's not here in Syria. The problem's in Israel. You see there, verse 12, he says, uh, and one of, the, one of his servants said, none, my Lord, O King. You know, it's, it's not us. We're not the one leaking the information. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, 
tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Elisha has secret information. He has access to what you are speaking in secret. You would think no one else is there, but God was there, and God would hear what this king was speaking. He revealed it to Elisha, who revealed it to the king of Israel, who told his troops, and there you go. And this cycle was going on and on. And this king of Syria is probably about to pull his hair out going, what is going on? I don't understand how they're getting these secrets. And so the king of of Israel was furious. And so he says, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. Let's put an end to this. He is frustrating me. And so it was told him, that is the king, behold, he is in Dothan. Dothan was about 12, 10 to 12 miles north of Samaria. And there was an area that covered about 25 acres of land. So it was a good-sized city. It was on the main route that ran north in central Israel into the Jezreel Valley. We're not told why Elisha was there. Elisha moved around, as you've seen in our stories here, in our messages. But for some reason, God has him in Dothan. And so verse 14, the king sent, three, sent there horses and chariots and a great army. All of this for one man, for just for one person. Horses, chariots, a great army. We're not told how many, but a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Just an amazing, you just feel the tension building. You know, Elisha is there in Dothan and here is this army is coming after him. The king had had enough of his interference, and he was ready to put an end to it. Now, I've got three points for you tonight. The first two are about um, what does not produce spiritual sight. And the last one is what does produce spiritual sight. Spiritual sight is the awareness of God's power and presence. What is it that will will make me aware of the presence and power of God? Because that's what I need in the midst of my fog of fear. But there's two things that do not lead to that. And we're often drawn to these two things. And I want to tell you those first. And it just comes out of our text here. The first one is power does not produce spiritual sight. Power does not produce spiritual sight. The king of Syria had power. He was Syria's clear leader. He had the power to send this great army after Elisha. Yet in spite of all of his power, he did not have spiritual sight. He did not realize that God was listening to him in his bedroom, the place where you would think it would be secretive. God heard everything. He was unaware of the presence of God. He did not worship Yahweh like Elisha did. So this king had power, but he did not have spiritual sight. Even as Christians, we are tempted at times to pursue power instead of a deep, intimate walk with Jesus Christ. There's something about the allure of power, worldly power, success, political power, money power, whatever it is, if we just think, man, we're drawn to that. If I could just have that position, just have that promotion, just have that that next check, whatever it is, then, then, then I'll be successful. Then, then I'll, I'll be, I'll be something. And, and we get seduced into that. Years ago, uh, Dr. Chuck Swindoll was traveling with Chuck Colson. And you remember Chuck Colson served in the White House with, under the Nixon administration. And Dr. Swindoll, and Chuck Colson was later saved and had a wonderful ministry, uh, prison fellowship. But Dr. Swindoll asked Colson, he said, 
you know, what would make someone want to be president? You know, in other words, who would want the burden of that job? You couldn't pay me all the money in the world to, to, to want that job is what Swindoll was saying. And uh, Colson smiled and said, one word, my friend, power. Just that for some people, it's the draw of that power. The most powerful person in the world, you've heard it said, is, is that job. Are, are you struggling with, with the pursuit of power tonight? Maybe, maybe you said, oh, I don't care about being president, but you're drawn to that, that, that power. That's how I'm going to find my meaning. That's how I'm going to find my significance. And this king had all kinds of power, but he didn't have spiritual sight. But there's another way that we, we try to get spiritual sight, and it comes here in the next few verses. Verse 15, when the servant, now we're introduced to Elisha's servant, uh, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning. Now, last week we talked about Gehazi. And as far as we know, this is not Gehazi. We're not told who this was. We're just, he, he's called a servant. We, we see later that he was a young man, it says. So the servant wakes up there in Dothan early in the morning and he went out and he sees this Syrian army with horses and chariots all around the city. Now, Dothan set up on a, a little hill about 200 feet high, and all around it were this flat plain. And so the Syrian army are surrounding them, and there's literally nowhere to go because anywhere they go, they're going to have to go down, and they're going to run into the Syrian army. So, uh, you know, from a human perspective, this really is a problem. This is a serious situation. Do you remember the last time we saw Dothan in Scripture? It was when Joseph was there. Remember back in Genesis 37, Joseph went looking for his brothers and he found his brothers. He saw them at Dothan and he went to get them. And you remember while they saw him coming, they started plotting on what they were going to do to him. And they threw him there in a pit in Dothan and they let him, they, they left him there. It was an empty pit. They went off and left him. The Midian traders came through there. They pulled him out. Of course, they sold him to the Ishmaelites, and Joseph was taken to Egypt. But God was working in Joseph's life in that pit in Dothan. And God is working in Elisha's life, not in a pit, but in this house in Dothan. God is working. It's incredible. Just these two miracles, uh, this miracle of God that's about to happen here. And Joseph was there so many years earlier, and God protected him as well. It's It's fascinating. And so here is the, the servant of Elisha, and he sees this army, and he comes back to Elisha, and he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, uh, he, he's filled with fear. We're about to learn from Elisha's response. He's filled with fear. What are we going to do? This is a serious, legitimate situation, Elisha. There's an army around us. We are severely outnumbered. What do we do? Here's our next point. First, power does not produce spiritual sight. Next, proximity does not produce spiritual sight. Proximity does not produce spiritual sight. The servant of Elisha was physically close to him. He had proximity to Elisha. He traveled with him. They probably prayed together. They probably shared scripture together. Maybe Elisha was mentoring him. They were, they were growing spiritually. And he's a young man, and he has proximity to Elisha, but he doesn't have spiritual sight 
He's, he's unable to see what Elisha is about to see and what Elisha is going to pray that God would open his eyes. He doesn't see it. All he sees is the, the battle right in front of him. The fog of fear is where this servant was. And he didn't know what to do. What do we do? And I feel like that's where many of you, many of us are tonight. We're right where his servant is. We believe God. We know him. We love him. We trust him. But we're right where he is going, what do we do? What, what do we do? I'm, we're overwhelmed that all we can see is the army of, of, of whatever it is that we're afraid of right in front of us. And there's uncertainty and there's fear and we're discouraged and we're defeated and we, we're throwing up our hands going, what, what do we do? One of the great uh, sports stories that was developed in the uh, last century it was turned into a movie in 1992. It's called Rudy. Remember Rudy? It's a great movie. Uh, just a fabulous story. Well, Rudy, his, you remember, his dream was to play football at Notre Dame. And that's what he aspired to do. But when it came time to go to college, he didn't have the grades to get into Notre Dame. So he moved up there to South Bend, Indiana, where Notre Dame is. But he was a student at nearby Holy Cross College. And so Rudy was in proximity to Notre Dame, but he was not a student at Notre Dame. Now, eventually, he did become a student there after a couple years and after several different applications and denials. But just because he lived in South Bend for two years did not mean he was a student at Notre Dame, even though he had proximity. Some of you have been, you have proximity to church you are here all the time. You're worshiping online. You're, you're here in person when you can. You have proximity to other believers, but you don't have spiritual sight. Just because you are a Christian does not mean you have spiritual sight. It doesn't mean you are walking in awareness of the power and presence of God. You can be just like this young man was, close to the man of God, close to a solid believer, a mature believer in Christ. And you don't have spiritual sight. All you can see is the battle right in front of you. And it leads to fear. And it's overwhelming. And you're in this fog of fear. And that's exactly where this person was. And so Elisha sees this in verse 16. And Elisha's, Elisha doesn't fuss at him. Elisha doesn't berate him. Elisha, do, Elisha does not lecture him. Look what he does. He says, do not be afraid. So he knew he, was, he knew he was fearful. Don't be afraid, he said. For those, it's one of the great verses in the Bible. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. In other words, it's an illusion. It appears that you and I are outnumbered, but really they're outnumbered. Because there was a whole army of angel armies, of angels all around, and his servant couldn't see it. And Elisha says, really, they're the ones that out. You should really feel bad for them because they're the ones that out. You just can't see it. And so he, he prays. He says, oh, Lord, verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. See, he didn't have spiritual sight. He could see physically. He couldn't see spiritually. So he says, open his eyes. So the Lord Oh, Yahweh opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Can you imagine? He saw. 
It's almost like those pictures you stare at sometimes, and all of a sudden you, there's, there's a hidden, you know, something's decoded in there. And all of a sudden he's looking, and all of a sudden he sees. And there's a whole army of angels that are there. And who knows how, how many, thousands upon thousands possibly. And they're there to protect them. It says the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say all around Dothan. It says all around Elisha. You see, God's protection is personal. It's not just, well, it's abstract and it's somewhere out there. No, it is personal. God was there to protect Elisha. He's not just there to protect Dothan and all the other citizens of Dothan. He's there for Elisha. God is there for you. His protection is personal. Warren Wiersbe wrote this, when God's servants are in his will and doing his work, they are immortal until their work is done. Isn't that good? They are immortal. You and I are immortal until our work is done for Jesus Christ because God has numbered our days. And so until he's done, until those days are fulfilled, we're immortal. Psalm 125 verse two says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. God's protection is personal. And he was there to protect Elisha and his servant. One, one source wrote this, seeing is believing uh, is the motto of the secular world. Believing is seeing is the motto of faith. Isn't that interesting? Believing is seeing is the motto of faith. In other words, God, I believe you, I trust in you. And God says, okay, well, I'm gonna show you what's already here. You see, Elijah didn't pray for God to send his angel armies. They were already there. He, he prayed that God would open the eyes of his servant so he could see what was already present. That God was already there. God was already protecting him. The mountain was full. Isn't it interesting that God sent the horses and, and chariots of fire to take Elijah to heaven? Remember that? And now he sends the horses and, and chariots. They're there to protect Elisha. So interesting, the word of God. So the Syrians, they didn't have spiritual sight. They have no idea what's happening. Um, they, they don't know about what's, who's behind them or who's in front of them. They, they don't know. So they start moving apparently toward Dothan. Meanwhile, Elisha prayed that God would strike the Syrians with blindness. Now, Elisha didn't ask that God would kill them. He just asked that he would blind them. Uh, so God answered and struck the Syrians with blindness. Now, the only other term... The only other passage of Scripture where this term is used for blindness is Genesis 19. And this was in, uh, remember, the house where Lot was. Lot is there in Genesis 19, and this group of men uh, wanting to engage in perverse activity, they come and they're trying to get Lot, or uh, trying to get these men out of the house. And it says that... Um, the, the men were struck with blindness, so they couldn't figure out where the door was. There's just confusion. They're walking around. They, they don't know where the door is. They don't know where the house is. They can't, they can't figure it out. There's just total confusion. It's the same word that's used here. And so their vision here in 2 Kings 6 was most likely clouded. There's, there's confusion. They can't see as clearly as they could before. Perhaps they could see a little bit because they're going to end up walking down to Samaria but, but they can't recognize people. They don't really know where they're going. They don't know where they are. And so Elisha goes to them, and, um, and he says, 
uh, hey, follow me and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. Uh, the word of God is so interesting. They're seeking him. They're looking for Elisha's house. And they have no idea that he's the one speaking to them now. He said, hey, follow me. I'll be happy. I'll, I'll take you to, to the person you want to see. I'll lead you right to him. And so they go, okay, well, sure. And so they're confused because God has struck them with blindness. And it's about a 10 to 12 mile hike down to, or actually it's uphill and it's through a winding um, part of, of central Israel. It would have taken about four hours. And they make this four hour march to Samaria. And Elijah, Elisha's leading them the whole way. Now, you, I, I would just wonder the conversations Elisha could have heard. You know, you'd imagine if the, they were just saying, you just wait till we get our hands on Elisha. We wait, you wait till we see him. We're going to put him in his place. And of course, they have no idea he's right in front of them. And he's leading them the whole way. This is just one of the miracles in the passage that God, God strikes them with blindness. Well, here they come into Samaria. Now, imagine what the king of Israel would have been thinking. Uh, here comes his enemy army, and the prophet of God is leading them right into his hands. Verse 20, and so Elisha says, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Now, can you imagine what they would have thought to go, what in the world? Where are we? Now they're in the walled city of Samaria, the capital of Israel. And the person that they wanted, oh, by the way, he's, he's right there. He's been leading us the whole time. Four hours and we had no idea that it was Elisha. And so the, the king of Israel is going, what, what do I do with these people? Uh, he calls Elisha my father, just showing his respect. And, and him realizing Elisha's really the one in control here. Because he has led now this enemy army to him. He goes, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And Elisha answered, you shall not strike them down. You see, even though they would have been considered prisoners of war, Elisha treats them as honored guests. He said, no, no, we're not going to kill them. We're going to serve them. We're not here to harm them. We're here to help them. And there was a few things the king could have done. He could have employed these this army in, in slave labor, he could have sold them and profited from them, or he could have just set them free. And so Elisha says, uh, we're going to feed them, and then we're going to let them go. In the ancient Near East, eating together un, un, under one roof would often constitute a covenant of peace. And so Elisha's strategy paid off. So now these two nations, at least for a little while, are no longer going to be fighting at each other. There's going to be peace. That's what it says at the end of verse 23, that there's going to be peace. And so God was teaching Israel a lesson here. Throughout every battle in life, Israel needed to depend upon God. Israel didn't need to depend upon their own ingenuity, among their own strength. If they would just look to God, God would take care of it. That's what they did when they had uh, defeated Jericho so many years earlier. God just had them walk around and pray and blow a trumpet and shout, and the wall came down. See, but they had gotten away from that. So God's teaching them, if you'll just trust in me, I will take care of your enemies. You won't have to fight them. They will come right into your hand. I, I will take care of them. And so uh, the Syrians did not come, uh, the end of verse 23, did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. But notice the king of Israel 
He did go above and beyond. Elisha said, give him food and water, or bread and water. And the king of Israel said it had a feast, had it prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. Well, can you imagine that conversation with the king of Syria? King, you won't believe what happened. We went to get Elisha, but they ended up feeding us. He led us down to Samaria. We, we thought for sure that that was it. That was the end of our life. But they fed us. They honored us and with a great feast and then sent us on our way. And the king just said, okay, I, I'm done. I'm done trying to attack Israel. We're going to have peace. Our final point tonight is faith produces spiritual sight. Spiritual sight does not come through power, does not come through proximity. It comes through faith. comes through faith. How was Elisha aware of God's presence around Dothan? It was through faith. How did he have spiritual sight? It was through faith. You notice Elisha could have, could have bolted from Dothan. He could have left going, I'm going back to Samaria where, where the king is. I mean, he knew if, God, if he knew what the king of Syria was saying in his bedroom, I'm sure he knew that they were, they were coming after him. But he had faith. He trusted that, that God was going to take care of him. You read all through Hebrews 11, and it's just by faith, by faith, by faith. Why, why, did, why, did, why was Abel's offering accepted and Cain's was not? By faith. Why did Noah build an ark? By faith. Why did Abraham leave his father's house when he did not know where he was going? By faith. How could Abraham offer up Isaac even though God promises offspring through Isaac? By faith. The whole thing is by faith. Why did Israel, how did they cross the Red Sea? It says, by faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced this is going to happen because God said it would happen. That's what faith is. It's, it's assurance. It's conviction. It's not blind faith. Well, I just hope that it'll happen. No, it's absolute trust that God said it would happen. He said he would never leave me. He's not going to leave me. I'm going to trust him. He says, I don't have to fear any evil. Because why? Because he's with me. And so in the midst of the fog of fear, you and I have to have faith. Faith was the key for Elisha. It's not complicated. He's not a superhero, even though he was a godly man. He had faith. He trusted in God. And so faith means that I am convinced that God is in charge and he's working out his perfect will in the world and in my life. That's what faith is. Now, the first step for some of you is that you have to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can't have spiritual sight if you've not taken that first step. You see, the Bible says that God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the first step, is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then once you've done that, my friend, spiritual sight is not automatic, but it's li living a life of faith, a life of trust that God will not leave you, that he is in control. It's that daily surrender to him. So do you have spiritual sight tonight? Or, do, or, are, you, or are you living in the fog of fear? Or all, is all you can see just the physical reality in front of you, like Elisha's servant? Or can you see beyond that? Because you've got faith. And you're able to see beyond what's really happening and what's real in front of you. 
to there's a whole other spiritual world out there. And God's presence and his power, they're with you. And he's there with us. Now, let me give you just a few points of application. First, have compassion on those who are far from God. Have compassion on those who are far from God. God had compassion on the king of Syria here. You remember our previous message that God saved Naaman, his, his top military commander. God saved him, and God spared the king's whole army here, or a great army, it says. God had mercy, had compassion on the king of Syria. So have compassion on those who are far from God. Surely you know people that are far from God. Uh, They don't need to be fussed at. They need to be loved. They need compassion. They need to see the love of God through us. Secondly, have compassion on young believers who do not possess spiritual sight. Have compassion on young believers or we could just say on any believer who does not possess spiritual sight. Elisha didn't lecture his servant. He prayed for him. He said, do not be afraid. And he prayed. See, those who don't have spiritual sight need prayer. They need love. They need encouragement. They need someone praying for them so that they can see the reality that God is here, that his presence is here. Instead of fussing them at them for being fearful, maybe we should pray for them and say, God, would you help them? Help them to see how awesome and powerful you are, Lord, so they don't have to live in this fog of fear, but let them be reminded that you're with them. They don't have to fear evil. For you're with them, your rod and your staff are there to comfort them and to help them. And then finally, have compassion on your enemies. Elisha didn't take advantage of these blind Syrians. Uh, Elisha honored them. He said, hey, feed them. Give them them bread and water and then release them. Send them on their way. He didn't mistreat them. After all, they came after him. He didn't try to get revenge. He honored them as guests. He had compassion. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's completely foreign to our normal sinful responses. We want revenge. We want people to suffer. And Jesus says, no, pray for those people. Love them. Have compassion on those who are your enemies. Well, it's been labeled the fog bowl. Remember the Fog Bowl, 1988. Philadelphia Eagles, Chicago Bears, playing in Chicago. It was an NFC playoff game. And uh, when the game started at noon, boy, it was a bright, sunny day. The temperatures in the upper 30s, clear sky, uh, beautiful day for football. About an hour and 15 minutes into the game, about 1.15 p.m., things began to change. This fog began to sweep in, and just like a blanket, this fog now covered the field. And when the coaches came out at halftime, the, they, the referee asked the, 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 the uh, Philadelphia coach, said, hey, you want to continue? And he said, hey, the fog's on both sides. And so they, they kept playing. And as the game went on, uh, Mike Singletary, remember him, he looked back, he said, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. As the game went on, you couldn't see anything. The CBS announcers, Vern Lundquist and, were Vern and, and Terry Bradshaw, and at one point, Terry, uh, Lundquist said, it is actually impossible for us to see the field. They're trying to call the game. They can't even see the field. The fans couldn't see the field. 
uh, I'm sure not many of them could see the scoreboard. Public address announcer can't see the field. How do they know what is going on down there on the field? Well, thankfully, there was an NFL referee down there by the name of Jim Tunney. Jim Tunney. Jim Tunney took charge of the situation. And after every play, Jim would turn on his microphone and he would give a report of what just happened. And so that everyone watching, whether it's on TV or in the stands or up in the booth, press box, they would know this is exactly what just happened because the person in charge just told us what happened. When you are in the fog of fear, be assured that God is in charge and that he is right there with you. Listen to his voice in the fog of fear and let him remind you of what's really happening around you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you're with us. I thank you for your rod and your staff that they comfort us as David prayed. Thank you that you never leave or forsake your people. Father, thank you for this word of encouragement tonight. I pray for those who are in the midst of a fog of fear tonight. Lord, whatever they're facing, I'm sure it is very real and it is very painful for some of them. But Father, you are with them. And so I pray that you would, they would turn to you and trust you like Elisha did. And that Lord, you would make them so very mindful of your presence and of your power. Allow them to see you, Lord, in the midst of this. Allow them to see that you are surrounding them, that you love them and care for them. God, remove this this fog of fear. In the name of Jesus, I pray, remove it. I pray it would be gone in the name of Jesus and you give them victory. You give them the ability to stand up in the midst of what they're going through, that they would not be uh, overcome with fear or discouragement, but God, they'd have boldness to keep trusting you and to keep living for you. Thank you that you are in control. We trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, my friends, for joining us. I hope this message was a blessing to you, and we'll look forward to seeing you Sunday. Pastor will be back in the book of Job. You won't want to miss it. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.